God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are promised to his people who gather in his name. Come Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us. Amen. You may be seated. Your friends in Christ, I want to start off with a little bit of a Christmas poll. How many of you own a Christmas tree? Okay. How many of you put up a live Christmas tree, like a real tree? Get a real tree? Okay, some do, not very many, right? Okay. How many of you have already put up your Christmas tree? If you have one, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask when is the appropriate time because I know we're all over the board on that. If you have put up a Christmas tree, how many of you have already decorated it? And as some of you said, well, of course, but it's not always of course. When I talk to old timers back in the day, I realize there's different traditions concerning the Christmas tree, right? A Christmas tree is, a, is a, not a Bible thing. It's a tradition to help us look forward to Christmas, right? And there's something about setting up the Christmas spirit in the home and the decorations. But when I've talked to some old-timers, and I mean years ago, and they were old then, and maybe they're, they're gone home to heaven already, they said in their house they had traditions with the tree. And it was, like, strange to me. Some, I remember one person saying that in their house there was no Christmas tree until December 25th. And when the children woke up, on, you know, on the 24th there was nothing, the room was bare, and on the 25th they woke up and they said it was just like, all of a sudden there was a tree and decorations and they were, oh, and they would just look forward to that morning. Talked to other people, they said their tradition was that they'd have a Christmas tree and it was empty until Christmas morning. And on Christmas morning, it would be filled with decorations. And so they looked forward to that. And I also remember talking to one person that said they had it set up in their house that there was a room that they put the Christmas tree in, and there was a curtain that went up in front of that room. And the parents would be in there, and they knew that it was Christmas tree and decorations and presents under the tree. But woe be to that child who peeked behind the curtain. And they could not wait until Christmas morning because in Christmas morning the curtain was down. And so for all of these people, even though it's strange customs to me, it was all different ways of helping little children look forward to Christmas because we're always looking forward at Christmas. As you hear from the children up here, sometimes when the, the thing that we look forward to at Christmas is one of the things is we look forward to presents, right? Of course. Boy, I remember when you get to high school age and you get to university age, what do you look forward to? Well, presents. But if you're going to school, you're looking forward to Christmas break. You're looking forward to a holiday. You're maybe looking forward to coming home. Remember that? And then when you get older yet, you're looking forward to different things, but you're also looking forward to maybe a couple of days off of work, special time with the family. We look forward to different things at Christmas. I'm going to ask you a question I don't know if you've ever pondered before this morning. We look forward to Christmas. Did God look forward to Christmas? Did God look forward to Christmas? And the answer is a resounding what? Yes! God looked forward to Christmas. 
How do we know that? Because we open up the pages of Scripture and we see God's heart and we see God's desire. We don't see the word Christmas in the Bible, but we see the promise of Christmas. We know God's promise in our Sunday morning Bible class. You're welcome to come at any time. We're talking about the opening chapters of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we see God placing Adam and Eve into a perfect world. And God's desire, his will, is that we would have this wonderful, intimate relationship with God and we'd live in a perfect world. But we also see, and we'll see, that once that separate, once sin came, there's this separation between God and us, and between us and people. God's immediate plan was what? I want to share that relationship again. I want to have that relationship fixed. I want to have it restored. I want, to, I want us to have this harmony again. And that would only come in a way that no human being could ever dream of. Because the only way that you and I could ever think of getting right with God is what would every religion in the world teaches, except Christianity. Every religion in the world teaches the only way to get right with God is what? You got to do something. You got to work. You got to behave. You got to do this. You gotta, it's something you do to get up to God. And the message of the Bible is that God knew the only way that we could have things right with him is if he came to us. And so we see in the Bible right away in the garden, God giving a promise about a restorer coming. And as I mentioned last week then in the Old Testament, there's these prophecies and there's these promises that the promise of Christmas would come, a Messiah would come. And more and more promises about like an Emmanuel would come, God with us, a, a virgin shall be with child. And Vicar next Sunday will look at one of these prophecies in depth. A promise given through Jeremiah that a righteous branch would sprout up from the tribe of David, that a Messiah would come through David's line. And in the Old Testament, people hung on to these promises and they waited. And when the New Testament opens up, we see that there was an old man like Simeon, an older guy. Simeon in the temple, remember him? He was in the temple when Jesus went, was a little baby with, with Mary and Joseph, and Simeon was at the temple waiting for what? The Bible tells us that he was waiting in Luke chapter 2, waiting at the temple because God had promised him he would not die until he saw the, the consolation of Israel, which is a way of saying the Messiah, the comfort of Israel, the comfort of the promise of Israel. And then right after Simeon saw the baby, then there was that 84-year-old lady who saw the baby. Do you remember that part of the Christmas story? Do you remember? What was the name of that 84-year-old lady in the temple? Anybody? Anna, right? Anna, right? And the Bible said, God had said, she said, I've been waiting in the temple because God has told me that I was going to be seeing the redemption of Israel, the saving of God's people. And so God's people were looking forward and looking forward and looking forward. And now the time is getting closer. And you might think it's the day before one more sleep. It's getting closer to, to the coming of Christ. And so we saw last week on snowy, icy, last Sunday, that God says, now the time is getting close. And the angel Gabriel comes and appears to... For those who were here last week, who did the angel Gabriel appear to? Not Mary first. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. Remember the priest at the temple when he goes behind the curtain and at the incense and says, you will have a son. Oh, we never had a child. This is great. But he will be what? 
He will be great. He will be like Elijah. He will prepare his people for the Messiah. He is the preparer of the promise of Isaiah. That's the start of Luke chapter 1. The Savior's coming soon. And then right after that episode with John and Elizabeth, with Elizabeth and Zechariah and the promise of John, we have the opening words of our text for today. Now it's in the sixth month. God sent the angel Gabriel, who had gone to Zechariah. God uses his, his angels in all different kinds of ways, but these, these public or these, uh, these visible pronouncements at big times. Angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town that is still there. Now it's a city, but back then a little village. A town in Galilee. It's not Bethlehem. The angel Gabriel appears, the Bible says, to a virgin... Isaiah 7, the virgin shall be with child. Pledge to be married to a man named Joseph. The promise of engagement. A descendant of David. Check, check, check. But we still have that Nazareth thing to take care of. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. As we saw last week, when an angel appears to a human being, what is the only response that a human being can have and does have? It's not high five, hi angel. We would like to think that, but the only response that a human being has when a human being comes into the presence of an angel is what? Speechless and fear. Holy one of God, hear and standing here is what? A non-holy one of God, a sinner. And so the angel comes and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And so the angel isn't scaring her. The angel is saying what? You who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And what is Mary's response? The next words, Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of meaning this was. Because she's a sinner. And the angel announces to her, don't be afraid. Again, you have found favor with God. Can you imagine an angel saying to you, you have found favor with God? What's the best compliment you've ever received? Do you enjoy compliments? Who doesn't like it? Oh, I like your hair. Nobody has said that to me for a long, long time. <laughs> but for the ladies here, oh, I like your hair. Oh, I like, how, oh, I like that outfit. There, we, when you get a compliment, what? Is there any greater compliment or, or upbuilding words than an angel saying to you what? You are highly favored. You have found favor with God. And then the angel goes on and says, Do not be afraid. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name. Again, there is a gender reveal and a name reveal. You will give birth to a son. You will give him the name Jesus, which is not any kind of what special, unordinary name. It comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, right? That's what it, the name Jesus is. It means to save. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, the Bible doesn't give us Mary's age, but we understand from the custom of the day that when people got married in Mary's day, the man was usually a little bit older and the, the woman was usually 
in our teens, sometimes younger teens, right? The Bible doesn't give us Mary's age, but we assume that she's about in that age span. The Bible says she's promised to be married, but she has not yet been with Joseph, and the angel announces to her, you're going to give birth to a son named Jesus. And so we understand Mary's response to the angel. Mary says what? How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary knew that. This doesn't just happen. There's a way that a baby comes. It's when a man is with a woman. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now understand what happened when Gabriel came to Zechariah last week and said, you're going to give birth to a son. What was Zechariah's response? I'm too old, Zechariah said. How can I be sure of this? We're very old. And the angel said, because you did not believe when I spoke, you will be what? Speechless. You will not be able to speak for nine months until the baby comes. So when Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin, did the angel said, now you cannot talk for nine months. No, the angel did not say that. And we can only assume that perhaps Zechariah's response was more of doubt. How can this be? And Mary's response was more of what? Perplexity? How? This, this isn't what happens. I don't understand. And then the angel explains. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will be with you. And the Holy One to be born to you is the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative in her old age, is going to have a child. Nothing is impossible with God, Mary. Mary hears these words, and what is her response? Now, there are the words of the angel, and then there's real life. Because if Mary is going to be with child, what is the real-life reality that Mary has to deal with? What is the real-life reality that Mary has to deal with? She has to, first of all, talk to whom? Joseph. She's got to talk to Joseph and say what? I'm pregnant. And what is the only assumption that Joseph will have? That she has cheated. And so the Bible says that, that in Matthew it says that Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly, not to make it a public disgrace, but he was a righteous man to divorce her. How could he not? Because this is the only thing that will happen. We'll find out in a couple weeks how Joseph changes his mind on that. Mary's got to explain this to Joseph. Plus, Mary is living in a small village. As she becomes more visibly pregnant, are people going to talk? Oh, my people are going to talk and talk and talk. And you know how they ostracize and put out and what people are going to say. And oh, poor Joseph and Mary, how could you? And then not only that, she's going to be a mom, not having this network of people helping maybe. And she's going to be a mom for the first time. How many first-time moms are totally confident in their ability? How many first-time moms go, just say, I've got this, it's going to be no problem? How many first-time moms aren't scared? And aren't nervous and aren't wondering, what's going to happen? I don't know if I can do it. This is all, and it's overwhelming and there's tears and I don't know if I can do this. And then imagine Mary being told that she is going to have a child, not have Joseph be, you know, she doesn't know about the Joseph part yet. And not only is she going to have a baby and have that responsibility, but the baby is going to be the, the son of God. How would that not terrify you? I'm going to raise the son of God? How many of you moms, dads, feel like I'm the perfect mom? 
I did everything right. I, I'm just, I just have it down. Now Mary is going to have the responsibility of raising the Son of God. The angel says, you are going to have a child. You are going to raise the Son of God. You are highly favored by God. It is amazing to me to see Mary's reaction. Because I would expect panic and fear and running. And what does Mary say? What does Mary say in our text? The angel speaks to her and says, nothing is impossible with God, Mary. And Mary says what? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What an amazing faith, right? And we know that was not just a, a, well, I'm going to say this in front of the angel and then I'm going to go back and really panic. Because the next verses in our text tell us that Mary then headed out to do what? God, the angel has said, your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child, so where did Mary go? To see Elizabeth, and maybe that also took care of some of the drama in the hometown village. I mean, really? I'm just going to go out to the country for a while, and, and I'll be with Elizabeth. But remember, Mary sees Elizabeth, and Mary breaks into a song of praise. And in the church, that song of praise is known as the Magnificat, right? It's a Latin phrase for, for magnify, my soul magnifies you. And in Mary's song of praise, we see three things. She says, from now on, what? All generations will call me blessed. She said, I I do understand that I am highly favored. God is using me, of all the women that have walked on this earth, God is using me to carry the Christ child. That is a blessing. But in the words right next to this, Mary also says what? My soul glorifies God and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What did Mary recognize about herself? She recognized that even though she was carrying the Christ child, she needed the Christ child to be her Savior. And the Bible does not bring her to us as someone that, what, we should pray to and somebody that is here. But highly favored, yes, but Mary also recognizes her own sin. She recognizes this, say, this child is going to be my Savior too. Can you imagine that, holding your Savior? And she said in the next words, in every generation, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This child that I will bring into the world by the Holy Spirit will be a blessing for all people. For nothing is impossible with God. God looked forward to Christmas. The Old Testament people looked forward to Christmas, even though they did not know the name Christmas. You know, the word Christmas, we don't see a historical record of the word Christmas until the year 1058 or something like that. And the word Christmas has to do with Christ, Mass, a Mass, a church service, Christmas, and that just got shortened into Christmas. We don't have an historical record, go back into the 300s, that there was a celebration of Jesus' birth. But we understand that God's people were looking forward to the promise of Christmas. And Simeon and Anna and Mary and all God's people. Are you looking forward to Christmas? We do, but we also understand as God's people here in this earth, because we are surrounded by sin and have sin, that a lot of times we are looking forward to what? There's all kinds of things involved with Christmas, right? And we all know that. How do you focus just on Christmas? 
I think the reminder in our text is that the best way to look forward to Christmas is by looking back and going backwards, right? You look forward by going backwards. For some people, they have the tradition of, of watching a, a certain movie, a Christmas movie every year. I don't know if any of you have that. Um, that there's a, my sister, she loves every year, I don't know why, she loves watching Bing Crosby's I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. She, it's an all-time movie, right? But she just loves watching it. Some watch what? Will Ferrell, Elf? Some Frosty the Snowman? Some watch The Christmas Story? And you ask them, you know, how many times have you seen it? My sister will say, I've seen it 50 times, I've seen it 60 times. And I'll say, why do you keep watching it? And she'll just say, because, because I like it. How many times have you heard the Christmas story? How many times have you heard the Christmas story? Why do we listen to it? Because. But not just because. You and I look at the Christmas story and what do we realize? How amazing God is? How do you feel when somebody hurts you? How do you feel when you ask somebody, you tell somebody to do something and they do the exact opposite? God tells Adam and Eve not to sin, not to eat, and they do it. What does God do? He doesn't turn from them. He turns toward them and says, I'm going to promise you a Savior. I'm going to give up my Savior for you. God turns to his people and he says, I will be with you. Even though the children of Israel constantly walked away from me, he said, I'm going to keep sending that promise to you. And you and I look in amazement how, how God worked out everything. And that, that Nazareth question, Mary's in Ma- Nazareth, the t- Savior is to come from, from Bethlehem. How is that ever going to work out? That's a long distance away by walking. And then we read in Luke chapter 2, what? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that what? That the whole world should be taxed and everybody had to go back to his own town to register. Ah, so Joseph was from the tribe of David, so Joseph had to go back to David's hometown to register. And what was David's hometown? Bethlehem. Oh, isn't that amazing how God worked that out? Emmanuel, son of God, son of man, that Jesus would come of a human being, but through the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus would be able to be under the law and be like us and have to take all the commandments that we're learning in confirmation class and yet at the same time keep all the commandments under the law and yet fulfill the law. All because when God looked at you, what did he see? Is Mary the only person that God has said you are highly favored to? When God looks at me and you, what does he see? He sees us by name, who we are, the very hairs of our head are numbered, and what does he say to you and me? Sinner that we are, sinner that I am, what does God say to me? You are highly favored. Can you imagine that? When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you see somebody highly favored by God? I don't. But that when God looks at you, he says, you are highly favored, and you and I say, well, how do I know that? I don't feel highly favored. What does God say? Because I gave you my son. And I gave up his life so that you can be with me forever. You are highly favored. And then you and I look at our lives and we see, well, it's still messy and I've got this problem and that problem and I don't know about this and I don't know about that. And you and I just stress ourselves out with all of our own drama. 
And God says, but remember, I didn't send an angel Gabriel to you, maybe, but I've given you my word and my promises. And what are my promises? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. There will be nothing in your life that is a greater burden than you can bear. I have a home waiting for you in heaven. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I am giving you whatever circumstance in your life, and I will work good from it so that you might proclaim my favor. And you and I sometimes scratch our heads and we doubt. But what I pray for for me, and I pray for for you, is that when you hear God's word speak to you, finally, at the end of the day, you can just simply say what Mary said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Right? That's why I'm here today and tomorrow and the next day, God willing. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And if God gives me more days and another Christmas and all those things and gives it to you, then we use Christmas as a chance to look again at what Jesus has done for me amidst all the other things. And in the midst of Christmas, God gives you an opportunity and me an opportunity to share. How many people have said to you and will say to you this? Are you looking forward to Christmas? Do you have any plans for Christmas? It's, it's a common thing, right? I go to the bank and there's the same teller asks me every time, what? Any plans for Christmas? And he looks up and he goes, what? Oh yeah, you have church. I'm, I'm, the, ch- I'm the church guy. But I'm realizing that instead of just saying I have church, what? Every time somebody asks you, are you looking forward to Christmas, what do you and I have an opportunity to do in Toronto? An opportunity to say what? I'm looking forward, yeah, I'm looking forward again to the message of how much God loves us in Jesus. And I'm praying that the next time I go into the bank and he asks me that same question, I just don't only say, yeah, yeah, looking forward to Christmas. I can't wait to hear about Jesus' birth again. Right? That God gives you and me those little opportunities to do what? Be like an angel and share the message? I'm not going to ask you, do you have your Christmas tree up? Doesn't matter. Are you looking forward to Christmas? Amen.